This week we have the Pasha of Bikirim, right? Bringing Bikirim. And there's so much that we learn from that that Fashlam brings on the Pusik of Smachta Bukhalatoiv. He says that the mitzvah of Bikirim is teaching us that a person should be mistopic and should be happy with what he has. And he shouldn't be jealous of anyone else. Um, no, it's definitely not an not an easy thing to acquire, but but something that's very important. So he says that we see by the mitzvah of Bikirim that somebody who has a lot of fields and somebody who has only one field, they both have to bring Bikirim. And they both have to they both have to have the same appreciative attitude and the same simcha being smach bechelka with what they have. Everybody brings the Mishnah Usha who's a, a rich person, the person who's happy with what he has. That's that, that's that's a, a amazing thing that a person could uh, attain. And when a person realizes that everything is just coming from Hashem, he's not jealous of anyone else, that's when he really becomes happy with what he has. And if not, as much brucha and as much shefa as he has, he'll never be happy. People think always that if only I have a little more and I have a little more, and if this will go well and that will go well, and another thing will go my way and another thing will go like I wanted in the way I planned, he'll be happy. it doesn't work like that. When somebody has 100, he wants 200. But if a person's happy with what he has, he's, he's happy and he's rich even with much less. So he says that the Indian of Bikiram, the Torah is teaching us, be happy with what you have. And he says an interesting diak. Originally it says, sorry, the Pusik starts, and the end it says, in the beginning it says, Noisen, Nachlu, Lirishtu, three Lishonis, one's like a Noisen Matuna, one's a Yerisha, Nachlu, then Yerisha. But in the end it says you should be happy with what you have, with whatever Hashem gave you. It only ends with Lushin Asina, because when a person's happy, and a person attains that Madraiga that Ibishta wants us to be happy and appreciative with what we have, then everything is, an, is a Matuna. You, didn't, you don't deserve anything. And when you come to that Madraiga and you realize you don't deserve anything, and you're happy, that's when you achieved and you were properly the, the mitzvah of of Bikirim, and it accomplished what it was supposed to accomplish. You know, so this is definitely not something that's that's easy. Um, we all have that sense of entitlement. We all have that sense of sekintmir, that things that should be going my way, that things that should be going the way I wanted, or the way, or if someone else has, and things like that. But that's what the mitzvah of Bikirim is teaching us. If you want to do it the right way, it's not just about bringing a fruit in a beautiful basket to the Vesmigdash. It's about being thankful, being appreciative, and, and understanding that whatever you have is a gift. You don't deserve anything. Not you, me. We, we don't deserve anything. And the more we think about it, the more appreciative we become. And this is something that so often you see it in relationships with Shalom Baez and everywhere. Somebody asked me recently why... It was just it was just a, some kind of interview panel. Um, why are there more problems today in Shalom Baez than, than, than there were in the past? And it's an old question that people try to understand. You know, if, if things are different or why they're different. One of the reasons is that because people definitely have a certain sense of entitlement that people didn't used to have. Our grandparents were much happier with whatever they did have. They weren't used to having so much. They weren't so comfortable. And there wasn't so much awareness of what makes people happy and how you become happy and what other people have. It was more. It was just more simple. So what you got, you had. And you, you made peace with it. Not everyone. Um, not always. Not, not all the time. Not, not to the highest level. But there was a certain... There's definitely a sense of entitlement today where people want to have everything. And they know that there is out there what they don't have yet. And they're looking over the shoulder and comparing their marriage, comparing their relationship, comparing their homes, comparing their uh, financial status, but comparing everything. And it makes you unhappy. And I, I hear in Galat, you know, I talk about people that just recently married and they're already so unhappy. 
or people that are already married for a long time, but they're also like complaining about something. And as much as I, I feel for them, when somebody's not happy, they're unhappy. It doesn't matter if they're entitled to feel unhappy or not. But it's it's coming from a certain feeling of I, I want more and I'm not happy with what I do have. So that's just a, 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 something we can think about and try to learn from the Pasha of Bikirim. Be happy with what you have. And you have so much and you'll start realizing it. I'm going to read a question. The question itself is long. And I'm also going to address two of the very many feedbacks I got on last week's shir. I see it triggered and um, she had a big response. I hope the shir won't be too long. I, I personally like when my shirim are between 18 and 22 minutes. Um, likely they're going to the lower board. It's not what I want, but there's just so much to talk about and address that um, and we'll see We'll see where this one goes with, with the feedback that I'm, that I'm trying to cover. Okay. Thank you so much for your insightful shirim and newsletters. Okay, for those who know, by now I probably mentioned it enough times. Whoever wants, you can sign up to get a weekly essay uh, written up and I, I give the shirim to a week. We are gaining so much from them and I think that all my relationships are improving, I hope. I like how you always focus on what can I do as opposed to who is right and wrong. I hope you can advise me. After reading, okay, this was an essay which was based on a past shir. After reading the essay titled To Relinquish Control slash Redefining Your Role I'm not sure if that's two different um, essays or not. I'm hearing your shir on Pashas Kisisa about the wife not being the stronger one. I'm trying to change my behavior. Sometimes, though, I'm afraid to trust my husband because I think he doesn't have the knowledge. For example, how important is an oil change for a car? I read the article or the sign in the mechanic shop that an oil change is one of the most important things you can do for the car's upkeep, while my husband did not read it. He usually doesn't read things that aren't svurim. So I think it's very important, and I don't want to push it off, even if I have a lot to do and my husband doesn't care. My husband took over managing the finances, but he always thinks there's money for everything, and he doesn't look at the bank statements or check the balance online, and he doesn't either know what expenses there are. There are, for example, clothing, shoes, shalachmanas, costumes, besides the set monthly ones. I know he means to be generous when he tells me just go buy whatever I need. Another example, I'm, very, I'm a very cautious driver, and he learned to drive after I did. It was very hard, and sometimes still is, when he drives, and I feel like he isn't being careful. For example, he's driving too fast on local streets or a parking lot. I grew up with my mother speaking very strongly against driving carelessly on small private streets with kids. We were recently driving our large van with, without passengers in a windy weather, and he said, it's, it's swaying. So I said, you know, maybe it's windy and we should go a little slower. He slowed a drop and then picked up speed. After a while, I begged him to slow down again. Then I felt bad for not being respectful and trusting, so I tried to bite my tongue and close my mouth. During the trip, I was very tense and felt very distant, although we were going out together to an out-of-town Shevabrach spending time, which we hardly ever do. I was so stressed out and tense. When we arrived, I got comments like, how nice that you got time to spend together. It was so weird because it was so hard for me. I kept trying to be respectful, but I couldn't relax and enjoy the time. Later at home, I tried to apologize, and he responded that it was fine because he didn't even listen to me anyways. How can I be respectful and trusting when I feel like my husband isn't being safe? Another example, what should a wife do or say if her husband is driving the wrong way? Um, down the street. My husband prefers to be the safer. Okay, another point. My husband prefers to be the safer as opposed to uh, learning about parenting and chinuch. He also doesn't want to learn from the wrong sources. It's hard for me to ask him his advice and opinion when things come up because he'll say he doesn't know and it's usually and isn't usually and he isn't usually home. Although taking care of the kids is more fast paced, fast paced. Also, taking care of the kids is more fast-paced. I can't wait a few hours or days until my husband comes home and thinks about it. I don't know if I should even try to bring up a discussion about chinuch topics because I don't want to sound like I'm trying to teach him. But then I feel stuck and the whole, like the whole responsibility is on me. How can I ask for advice and trust my husband 
so he feels, and that I actually am um, following his chinuch, and also not feel that the whole responsibility is on me. I don't know if these questions are related. Whatever advice and insight you can offer are very appreciated. Koltov. Okay, so that was the first letter, and that's the main letter that I wanted to address this week. In the meantime, let me read another two feedbacks. Again, just two that I felt were connected to this week's title and something that we could all uh, gain from. And I invite feedback for everyone. You can email me, rabbigruen at lahoyer.org. I haven't mentioned that for a while, I think. R-A-B-B-I-G-R-U-E-N at L-E-H-A-I-R dot O-R-G. Questions, comments, criticism, compliments, anything. Okay. Hi, Rabbi. Thank you for your beautiful shirum. I really hope you can clarify the following. You spoke this week about men and women being two distinct parts of a unified whole, carrying separate responsibilities to achieve the ultimate goal. You especially emphasize the woman standing behind the man in his work and how she earns her reward by helping him actualize his achievements. That's all beautiful, Torah true, reassuring and refreshing to hear in the current climate. In older shurim, in older shurim though, when the topic comes to control and you, me, and us, which I'll elaborate on maybe soon to explain what that meant, for those who don't know, you make it clear that what a man does, so long as it does not directly affect his wife in an immediate practical way, is his business alone. In those talks, the word healthy abounds and consistently delegitimizes the notion of either spouse equally, expecting or even desiring their spouse to live a certain way. This includes small specific choices, not only grand life-defining ones. I see a glaring inconsistency here. Okay, As a woman, I deem it my primary responsibility to do my husband's will. I see myself indeed as the quiet power behind him that will enable him to do what he'll go out and do. How then can you say that what he does is not my business? If we're working toward the common goal, me powering him from at home so he can go out and achieve what is really our shared responsibilities, why does he decide the entirety of the goal's parameters? I hope you understand my question. The best way I can sum it up is with a line I heard from an Aish rabbi once. Everyone wants more than anything to follow her husband. She just wants him to lead her in the path that she trusts. In a path that she, she trusts. If the above sounds like an attempt at control, well, it might be. It's a question about whether our traditional understanding of a woman's role necessitates a certain driven, hard-working male figure, and whether healthy is at all a relevant word when talking about these lofty matters. Thank you so much. Not a feminist. Okay, nice signature. Let me read one more letter before addressing anything. Okay, the English share this past week is a real wow. Great job. Thank you. I wouldn't normally speak up, but you mentioned that you are discussing the topic again this week, so I wanted to throw in a piece of my mind. Okay? You put the wife down and made her feel comfortable in her seat. Job well done. I get it that the woman's role is to be at her husband's side so he can reach his ultimate tachlis. Additionally, she manages the home. Sounds nice in theory. On pen and paper. How does it play out in real life? Real scenario. For... X amount of years plus, we go every umptive to my in-laws, which is, which who live in a different city than we do. My husband set it up after our marriage for different reasons. As the wife, I'm expected to go along with it. Using my minimal rights, I try talking to him, explaining my hardships, a lot more than the basic of not being umptive with my parents and family. I tried the nice way, the tough way, but nothing helped. I stopped talking about it many years ago and tried to go happily. My husband doesn't even know how to appreciate it. He takes it as a given. A wife belongs to follow her husband. And I'm left wondering, is that what Hashem has intended? How is a woman's voice heard if she needs to speak softly and respectfully only, and he, has, and he has the final word? Hashem has made us women, each with our own mind, feelings, koiches, she'ifes, and retzoynes. Why? Why has He put us in a mind of our own if we can't utilize it anyway? Secondly, we are expected to be happy staying home and all day 
happy staying home and all day just cook and bake, clean, wash laundry floors and toilets, change diapers, wipe spills, handle whining, crying and fighting. We can't just rush, decide to do something and actually do it or go wherever we want or need to. We're tied down to the little ones 24-7. Our days are a whirlwind of cooking and cleaning, laundry, caring for kids, late nights just to finish up and then waking up to a crying baby or two. There's no brucha in our work. Cleaning and laundry is never done. I know it's all holy, like the Koinibus Megdish, but honestly, would you change places with any of us? Try it for a month, a week, or even one day. That's our life. We do the dirty work without much satisfaction, appreciation, or privileges. It's the man's feeling superior that makes the woman feel secondary. The woman feels secondary. We are all the jokes. What are all the jokes on women circulating in the men's department? Unfortunately, Midas Toivus by men is the Akara Metzius. Men have it in their DNA to be dominating, dominating and tough. I understand it's meant for their unique role, but that's also the source of a lot of unhappiness by women. I truly love housework. I do enjoy my role. With all the respect for the holiness, being human beings, it still takes more than that to feel good and fulfilled. Okay, quite intense. Um, maybe a few stereotypes and exaggerations and uh, a little bit of splitting perception there, but, but I get the point. I do. So let me let me try to head into this discussion here without going too long. This could this could go on forever. Our questions and answers and discussions about these topics could go on forever, and they should. And it's important to clarify things as much as we could. But let me try in the time that we have to give some clarity. Let me let me just recap a little bit. Okay, the first questioner, for those who don't remember anymore, was saying that she wants to um, respect her husband and relinquish control and not do things on her own. But it's so hard either because she doesn't like what he does or she thinks that he's not being safe or because he doesn't have the right opinions or the, or the knowledge or he's not there for whatever reason. It's hard to not be in control and take control of situations. That was the first one. Um, the first feedback was, I do want to be together and accomplish this unified role as man and woman, but if I don't have a say, it means that I have to follow my husband blindfold and that doesn't work for me. I'm here to help him as long as I have a say in what it is that I'm helping him with and I feel like you know, just being there to, to, to promote to help him do what he has to do without having a say in what he's doing, don't work for me. Okay. And then feedback number two, which was what's called question number three, is that I want to be good and follow my husband, but I can't handle not having a say in anything. In other words, how is a woman supposed to be happy being second place and just having to follow and not having a real opinion in what goes on and having to just uh, be nominated by someone else? And obviously there's more between the lines of each of these three letters, which I'll try to get to. But let's start with mainly the first letter, which was the letter that I was planning on addressing this week. And that is that it's hard to not control and give my my opinions. And it's also hard to let myself be controlled and ask for opinions, especially where I feel that for whatever reason, um, I'm not going to get the right ones. Now, what I'm summing up out of all these things, let me just put it like this, is that it, it seems like some know that they shouldn't, some people know, let's call it, some people, some women, these are all women writing, even though I don't feel like I'm giving a class for women necessarily, but uh, you know, if, that's, if those are the people writing to me, those are the people I'm addressing as well. Uh, some people know that they shouldn't be controlling. They hear me talk about ideas like, you know, you shouldn't control someone, you shouldn't let, you tell your husband what to do, you shouldn't be as much gear, you shouldn't be on top of him, you shouldn't let him also have a say, or you shouldn't take, take his opinion seriously. And they know it, and they, and they agree with it. And it's, it's just very hard. It's very hard, like this writer starts. You know, I, I want to and I'm trying, and, and it's so hard. And, and, and it is very hard, okay? Some people um, know that really, in theory, you shouldn't be controlling, but maybe my situation is different. 
in my case, my husband's not um, doesn't have doesn't have what it takes. So in my case, he can't be trusted. In my case, I I have to control him. If I don't, in other words, I know that in theory it's wrong, and maybe I'm also part of the first group who wishes that I could actually do what I'm supposed to. But there's also the part about justifying why, for whatever reason, I can't. And then there's let's call it the third group of who said who said I shouldn't be controlling. Who said that that having a say in this thing, even though really technically it belongs to my husband, who said it's wrong? Maybe maybe I really should. So there's different ways of looking at these things. And before I go on, let me say something that I, I mention every once in a while. Whatever you're hearing from me is all my opinion, nothing more. So I, don't, I, don't, I hope nobody feels the need to write back and prove themselves or disagree. I'm just suggesting. I'm just offering opinions in my shirim. Whoever likes them could hear them and take them and work with them. Some of them, parts of them. Whoever doesn't, throw it out. You don't have to debate with me, and I'm fine with that. Um, so back to the original writer. I, I commend the writer for saying that I want to relinquish control. I commend the writer for saying that I'm trying to and it's hard. And I feel like a lot of the excuses that are given later in the letter of why she feels she can't are looking to justify why it's hard. You don't have to justify that. It's very hard for men and women, by the way, to live with someone and tolerate certain choices they're making and accept the fact that this is their choice and I don't have a say in it and know it and be okay with it. It's hard. It's hard. This is what parents have with children. It's hard for me to see a child make a choice I don't want, especially when I know that technically he's entitled. You know, he's not doing anything wrong. What, what, so he's making a try. I don't know. What, what can I do? And, and especially with a spouse. Especially when you feel that it affects you or, or, you, or you convince yourself it affects you. And it's hard. You don't have to explain it. In other words, if for whatever reason, um, your husband, let's say your husband is driving safely and he always drives safely and he chooses to go a different way than you like to go and it comes the same time. There's nothing involved. There's no... Re- it's still normal for a person to say, I, but I want you to drive the other way because that's what I like. And it's hard to say, you know what? He wants to go that way. There's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't affect me. We'll get there at the same time. It makes him more comfortable. He's more familiar with that way. Whatever it is, I keep my mouth shut. So I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm validating the difficulty and I'm commending somebody who wants to overcome this difficulty. And this is a challenge that we all have. And hearing about it and talking about it and trying is definitely uh, you know, something that we all want to do, I think. There is also, so this, this I just want to separate because I, I see us confusing a bunch of issues over here there's the woman's issue and then there's the relationship issue which means there's the part of a Yiddish Shashtib where the man is Balabus and the boss and the pilot and the president because that's how the Torah sets it up and the woman is in some sense taking the passenger seat I won't say the back seat but the passenger seat um, standing by her husband's side and, and, let, and giving him certain choices which Lahavdul, even the surrendered wife, the books the surrendered wife, you know, got a certain understanding of, well, at the end of the day, you're, you're the wife and he's the husband, so there's a certain hierarchy, let's call it. And that has a cert- already a certain amount of surrendering control, even though that book may have suggested it to an extreme, but I'm saying the idea of a woman surrendering control because she's the woman. And then there's a general idea, which shouldn't be confused when it comes to boundaries, which is that in relationships, control is never good. If you're in a relationship with a partner, with a brother, with a coworker, with a neighbor, with anyone, and in marriage. And one of you is controlling the other one. There's something unhealthy about that. And I can say that almost every interpersonal conflict that I ever came across or deal with, I, I see the control issue. I see where someone's either trying to control the other or they're not sharing control where they should be and things like that. So control is, is a killer to a relationship, even if it's from a man to a woman. In other words, even if you're the man and you're the boss and everything should be going the way you want and the Ramam says clearly that the wife should be doing kalma sayhu al if you're controlling her choices and telling her how to dress and who to talk to and what to do, when really there's, there's nothing behind it other than the fact that she has a mind of her own, there's something very wrong about that. 
So that's two parts of control. One is the woman part, and one is the general part. So I just want to clarify that. So anyone dealing with the difficulty of surrendering control when it comes to someone else is difficult, and it will probably help your relationship, even if it's not your first choice. The fact that you marry somebody that has a brain in their head, and, 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 and opinions and desires, which means a healthy living person, means that to some extent you're acknowledging, or you should be acknowledging, that they might have a mind of their own and want different things than you, and that it's okay. So that was just some kind of introduction over here. Now, let's, let's get to the main idea and see how we could um, you know, try to take apart these few topics here to the best of my ability, the idea of boundaries, which the feedback um, letter mentioned, and I think it's important, and it was something I wasn't discuss anyway, just to address the question itself. Something I discuss often. The way that I adapted the, the, the explanation and the categorization of this is my own. Again, nobody has to take it seriously. You could disagree with it. I'm fine with that. I'm not quoting a Rambam or a Machaber and Shulchan But I, when you break it down to mine, yours, and ours, it becomes so simple. There are topics that I, that I talk about when it comes to Shulam Bayes where I give a class for men, let's say, and I say, you know, this part, maybe it's not best if you go home and tell your wife about this because it's better if she doesn't know what you just heard and that she'll think it's more natural or she won't realize why you're doing something. And same as the other way around. But this topic, when I talk about boundaries, I always say, go home and discuss it. It's simple, it's clear, it's technical. In every relationship, and I'm not going to elaborate because I have a lot of classes about them, just to bring out the main point. In every relationship between two people, there's the mind, the things that are only relevant to me, there's the yours that are relevant to you, and then there's the ours which we share. If we're in a relationship, as trivial and as short-term as it may be, and as intense and as long-term as it may be, there are these three categories. There are the parts that we share, either because we're sharing the room and the lighting and the air conditioning, or we're sharing the home and the children, and things like that. And then the other parts that still remain individual, even in the most intense relationship. And even in the least intense relationship, there's always the shared part. If you can categorize that and figure out which parts really do are mine, and I should be able to make the decision, and you can tell me what you like about them, and I should listen to you and maybe take you seriously if I could, but it's mine. And which parts are yours, and the same thing, I'm allowed to tell you what I want, but I can't demand or control, and I shouldn't make you feel bad for thinking differently, those are yours. And where is the shared territory which we should both have a say in it and know how to deal with? When people master that, it's not, it's, it's not because, like I said, it's not because the Torah says you have to do that. Maybe Torah Dick... Um, the husband does have more right and more control over certain issues, maybe. He does. But the fact that you understand each other in this way and you're respectful of each other's individuality and, and, and try to stop making each other feel bad for not thinking like me, like, it's, it's such a shame that you have your own brain which thinks differently than mine because mine is the right way to go. When you could get past that, you're, you're a lucky person. You're both lucky people. For some people, it's harder than for other people. For some people, it's harder to not control the other person's boundary. For some people, it's harder to stick up for their own. Whatever it is, it's hard. And, and, and it's so healthy. And if you think that you're going to be a martyr and live your life the way someone else wants, it doesn't work. It just causes resentment and a lot of difficulty. So this is very fundamental, very basic, and, and game-changing. Because when relationships are set up like this, it works. When I yourself. So the individuality and, and the right to decide is definitely something that's so important to respect another person. So with that said, and, and I'm not going to go into conflict now and how do you do resolve something where you do get stuck over a shared territory, maybe in the Yiddish share this week, whoever wants to listen, you'll hear a little about that. We discussed it in the past as well. My point being that when I discuss issues of men and women and how a woman should be happy that she's a woman and a man should be happy he's a man and how Yiddish works, my intention is not that now the man is in control. That's not what it is. In other words, the, the question that we were addressing last week, just to clarify, was... Um, about a double standard, why is a woman 
not a man, or why is she not expected to do what a man should do? Or is she expected to do what a man should do? Should she, one bring, should she be the one bringing the livelihood and learning with the children and going to Ozabunum? And the answer was no. It's okay if you're a woman and he's the man. To think that that means now that because he's the man, he should be telling her what to do and she shouldn't have a say in anything. I should be afraid or intimidated or just surrender because he's the man, which causes a lot of resentment and confusion. And then later, inferiority and other kind of feelings, which as much as people believe maybe it's right, they don't feel good about it and they become a little miserable. That wasn't the intention at all. Understanding that your parent is your parent and you're just a child, but then still understanding that you might still have a certain choice or still have a certain territory, a certain boundary that nobody should be overstepping, that's where it's still healthy. You don't have to be equal to both be able to make a choice. So I hope this is coming across clear already because I see just from the feedbacks and the letters and, and I say all three letters that seem to be confusing these ideas. Oh, so so let's, let's take this further. So my main point was that a woman could be a woman and shouldn't um, feel bad about it, but she also shouldn't feel deprived about, about being who she is on a personal level. So that's, that's, that's very important. Now, another thing that I do want to mention is that it, my, my intention was also not that a woman should just be home and just cook and bake. I think I mentioned it, but I'll clarify. It's normal for a woman to have the need to go out and to breathe, and to have space. It's normal for a woman to ask her husband, could you please take over with the children for whatever time it is because I, I need to socialize with a friend. It's even normal for a woman to feel that, you know, sitting home and taking care of my children, which is a tremendous thing, and I do want to get a lot of satisfaction of it and understand what it really is. But at the same time, I also feel more fulfilled if I have some small job or some small position, or I'll be helping women with something or organizing something. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. It shouldn't take away from the understanding of what Eid Shamama is and what the real important thing in life is, just like everything else in life, where we know sometimes that the right thing is one thing and, and really, you know, we like doing other things. The first obligation of a Yiddish Shamama is to run a home, and it's a privilege, and it's a, a pleasure for somebody who understands it, and even somebody who doesn't, it, it's definitely what you're here to do. Does it mean that you can't do anything else? It means that you're homebound? It means that you're stuck? It means... No, but it does mean that you're a woman, and it does mean that being a parent comes with a certain responsibility of, no, you can't just leave your kids. Well, the fact that your husband's out making a living, it, yeah, that, that does somewhat um, say something about your responsibility now, but it doesn't mean that you have to be afraid to want to have another part of your life or feel bad about that. So, back to the other issue, okay? So, you're a woman, and you understand your role, and you still would like maybe to feel more control, and it's okay if you control the things that do pertain to you, and then still understand that you relinquish control when it comes to someone else. So, if your husband's doing things in the way that you don't like, whether it's driving or dressing or talking or occupying himself, in a way that doesn't necessarily affect you directly, and you want to say something, and you have a lot of reason to say something, a lot of reason to believe that your way or your want or your opinion is better, and you say, you know what, but this is his, I'm not going to say it. As hard as it is, that's just healthy. It's not because you're a woman. I would, I would almost say the same thing to a man who doesn't like um, how his wife bakes the chalas. I'm not talking about the recipe. I'm talking about, I wish she would do it this way, not that way. It's okay. She likes doing it that way. Let her. Let her. This is not, not, not because you're second place. That's definitely a control thing. So when, when somebody tries to control the other person and uses quotes like, you know, I'll follow you if you lead me the way I want, that, that's, 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 that's saying, in other words, that I want you to do what I want and then I'll work along with you which if a husband says it about a wife or a wife says it about a husband, there's something wrong with that. The part that I follow you, because I'm being a wife, is the part that I'll do even if you don't do exactly what I want. Because I know my role. But it doesn't mean that I have to follow you blindfoldedly and I can't have a say anymore in what I do. I hope this is coming across clear and I'm not just repeating myself um, too many times. And very often what people do is they, they try to prove why it's affecting them or where it's affecting them and why they really should have a say in something without realizing you know, maybe, maybe it's just not mine. 
Maybe I should just surrender. Surrender doesn't mean be controlled. Surrender means surrender the fact that somebody's doing something I don't like. Now, what do you do when it gets challenging? What do you do when it gets challenging? Your husband's driving, and it's not safe, and it's reckless, and it's too fast, right? It's a challenging situation. Should you say something, or should you not say something? Is that called control? Is that shared territory? Is it, is it affecting you directly or not? So, there's a lot to think about here, and I don't want to give a, a blanket answer. I just, want to, I just want to take it apart. Very often, it's a, it's a matter of perspective, which means that people that will tell you for example, sounds a little like what you're saying. My husband always drives recklessly. It's terrible. It's so dangerous. How long is he driving? Is he driving for a couple of years? How many accidents has he made? Um, could it be relatively a few or none? Maybe it's not so bad. Now, I'm not saying that your mother wasn't right. And I'm not saying that your way of driving isn't better. I'm saying that sometimes when you just take a step back and think, you know, is, is it really so bad? My wife always comes late to him because it's terrible. Is it really terrible? Is it because you once got a phone call three years ago from somebody and otherwise you notice that it's not so bad? And At what point is it terrible? If this is just a matter of perspective, it's just a matter of, of what you want, or I was taught that X, Y, Z, or the way I do it is much better, it's important to realize maybe you shouldn't be, maybe you should just let someone do the wrong thing. Especially if you already said it so many times that didn't help. What I mean to say is that even when somebody else is doing something that only affects them, and it, it irks you, it bothers you, you're allowed to speak up and say, you know what, honey, Maybe you could do it uh, this way. It would make me so, feel, feel, feel so much more comfortable. I mean, your way is fine, but I just like it this way. If they accommodate you, either because you said it very nicely or because they care enough about you or because they don't care about how they do it, that's wonderful. That's not called control. It's an old mistake people make. You're controlling me. I'm not controlling you. I'm telling you what I'd appreciate. It would make me feel more safe. I would, just, I would just appreciate it more. Even if I'm not even in the car, you're driving and you wear a seatbelt, it makes me feel better. That's all. It's fine to say that. What happens when the person doesn't do it? Or what, what happens when you said it so many times it didn't work? If it's not working, maybe stop saying it. Now, if it's really dangerous, and your heart is in your mouth, and you have heart condition, and you left your medication at home, whatever it is, leave the car and call it over. There are ways to deal with things that do directly affect you, even if somebody's not taking you seriously. My point is that taking into account the fact that it might not be so relevant and so important and so dangerous as you think, is just a perspective. Together with the fact that saying it is not helping you, maybe rethink and maybe just come to the conscious decision that I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to say anything. So again, if you have to, that's really dangerous, and he's driving the wrong way, and he's falling asleep as he's holding the wheel, and there's a tractor trailer coming against you, and there's a deer dancing out of the... Now, of course there are situations where you have to say something. But in general, it's important to understand that as much as you want, or as much as you feel it's right to, maybe you shouldn't. As much as you feel that your chinuch advice, or whatever it is, is better, or more thorough, the fact that he has a different opinion, and the fact that he has different sources, and has a way of thinking, maybe that alone is reason to say, you know what? It's sheer territory. I, I, I might not want to. I might not, not want to take him seriously. I might want to control this decision because I think that I'm more competent and better at it, or whatever else. Maybe it's the right thing to do to take him seriously. Maybe it's just my perspective that I think I'm more right. Maybe he thinks he's more right. Think about it. So control, understanding boundaries, is so important, even when we don't like it. And it's important to understand that we often don't like it, and it's the right way to do things. And your marriage will be happier, and you'll probably be a happier person. So, you know, that's that's definitely. Um, something to think about. Now, now, just, just adding a knaich that might make it a drop easier for you. What this does to your marriage, or what this does to your relationship, you have to just know if it's worth it. In other words, I know it's not easy sometimes. You're just sitting in the car with trepidation and fear because your husband's driving unsafe, and it's hard for you to calm down. I'm not, I'm not taking that away. But sometimes when you just make peace with the fact that, you know what, he, he drives not so bad, 
and there are people that drive like this. And we usually get there safe and sound. I'm going to try my best to just enjoy the ride, enjoy the time and the conversation. It's so much, it's so much more worthwhile. In other words, the, the, the risk factor of the unsafe driving is important, but it's not as important as what it's doing to your relationship. It's like the story, I think I told it recently, about the couple that came for counseling. I heard it from the person who was helping them. And they were fighting over a $50 charge that the husband wasn't allowing his wife to, to spend it. She felt it was very important and he didn't want it. It was going to be a whole issue. And the person helping them said, you know, you're fighting over $50, but you're paying me $250 to listen to this fight. Wouldn't it be worth to give your wife $50 and, and avoid this charge? Or maybe next week don't come for a session and give it to her. And he's very adamant. No, why would I do that? If it's not a good, if it's not a, a, a charge that's valid and it's not right, then why would I give it? So what do you mean? But you're paying me so much money to help your marriage, right? You don't seem to have such a problem with $50. Well, for my marriage, I'll do anything. It sounds like a joke, but it isn't. In real life, we do that. So we don't realize that, again, it's, it's not that your wife should always be able to pull $50 out of you. It's that before you say no, think about, is it worth it? Is it not worth it? Is this comment worth what it's going to do to my marriage? Or it's not worth it? And I've seen this many times with, with kids. I tell people, if it's cheaper than therapy, maybe you want to do it. In other words, if what your child is asking for, not demanding, not, not tantruming about, but you, your child wants something. And it might be good for them, it might not, but it's expensive. How expensive is it? I don't know, the cheapest one I found is like $26. Again, I'm, my point is not that you should spoil children. My point is that if this $26 charge might make your child actually more happy and content and grow up feeling safer and cared for, and it's done in a, in a responsible way, not where they feel that they manipulated you and they're doing the wrong thing with it, maybe it's worth it, $26? You're talking to me now for, for 45 minutes. I'm going to charge you a lot more than $26 for just asking this question. It's something to think about. Again, not a, it's something to think about. Somebody just shared with me a, a cute story from the Gulen of Nisim Karelitz, from Benai Barak of Nisim Karelitz, who was sitting with a Talmud and they were learning. And a neighbor comes in very angry and tells her Nisim Karelitz that um, you painted recently and a lot of the paint went down the drain and stuffed the drain and caused me, it caused me damage and I had to call someone to fix it. 600 shekel you have to give me. Made a whole fuss. Mr. Krells didn't think twice, takes out of his pack of 600 shekel and gives it to this person. Talmud is watching, it was like so interesting, just like that. Like, Rebbe, you know, maybe discuss it with him, ask him, negotiate, and just like that, you give 600 shekel, no questions asked. Hey, listen, I, have, I had three reasons not to give him the money. So, really, why? Well, first of all, paint, when it runs down the drain, usually doesn't get stuck and doesn't clog the, the, the you know, it's usually put it with water or whatever, it doesn't clog the drain. That's first of all. It's hard to believe that it really clogged the drain. Number two, we don't share a drain. This neighbor's from across the street. They have their own drain. My paint wouldn't stuff his drain. Number three, I didn't paint recently. And Thomas was looking at it. I said, Rebbe, so then why did you give it to him? So the answer is because 600 shekel is worth the price to, be, to have a good relationship with my neighbor. It's not worth it for me to get into a fight with him over 600 shekel. It's not worth it. If I was in a fight with a neighbor, I'd pay more than 600 shekel to just smoothen it out and have somebody not, uh, not, not, not hold a grudge against me and be angry at me and whatever this may cause. It's just, you know, sometimes you just need the, the blick of a good, the, the chachma, to say, you know, it's not worth it. So I'm not, my point is not that you should always spend money, and my point is not that you should let everyone take advantage of you because I would have paid more. My point is that sometimes letting your husband drive the way he wants and trying to enjoy the ride and build a relationship and spend the quality time together and get the most out of that is more worth it than, than whatever um, safety you might accomplish by, by saying something. So I, like I said, I know it's hard, it's hard, sometimes you're just afraid. But my point is that in many of these situations, as much as you want to control something, as much as you want to control a certain thing, a certain decision, a certain, a certain territory, a certain something about your children, is it worth it? It's so important to think about that. Just, just wait, wait, and it's not easy, because we get emotional about these things, and all of a sudden, uh, worth it has a whole different um, meaning.
And like I said, there are emergencies and abusive situations which are obviously exceptions to the rule where it is worth it. Let me just say that again. Another thing that I want to tell the original writer is that, that sometimes people confuse the, the boundary issue with the respect issue, and I want to be clear about this. Another important point. Sometimes um, I want to control. I want to surrender control. I want to let my husband make these decisions. And that's why I'm going to do my own thing. I'm just going to, I'm going to let him do his and my, I do mine. And people see sometimes the respecting boundaries as living two separate lives. This is mine, this is yours, okay, but we have to. And that's not what it is. Part of having a boundary is respecting someone and their boundary. Part of letting you have your opinion is respecting your individuality and your right to the opinion. Part of respecting shared territory is that I respect your choice in this as well. And not just, okay, let's make a compromise because technically we don't have a choice, we have to, you know, we, we got married so we just have to you know, figure this out. No, it's something about, I respect that. The, the husband that you're, um, the husband that you're describing here, which I don't know who it is, sounds like somebody who you definitely have a lot to respect. Let me say that much. A lot to respect. Um are you talking about a somebody who learns a lot of surah, somebody who's helping helping you and, and trying his best. There's, there's a lot to respect there. Even if you don't respect what he's saying, even if you think you have a better opinion, it's important to be respectful to his. Like I said before, you, you, it, it, it might, there might even be a lot of uh, validity and truth to his opinion as well, even if you disagree with it. Something to think about. And then being respectful in general is not so much about, well, he's not here, so I have to wait three hours to ask him. Well, you might not have to. But maybe when you're done doing what you could, you could check with him by night if he appreciates what you did and hearing what he has to say. Maybe in general, wherever you could, ask him, you know, what is it saying in Chazal about this? What is the Haluch about this? Let your kids know that you're respecting Tati's opinion. It's not black and white. Sometimes it's okay to make your own decisions and he won't even care because he respects and trusts what you do. And sometimes you just have to give him that much respect wherever you could bring it up. Not in a fake way, but in a real way. In a way that he deserves. And, and be respectful while um, appreciating and respecting the boundaries and, and the different things that, that do belong to you and to him. Especially when it comes to Ruchnis, which is technically his territory, which he sounds like he has a lot of, a lot of understanding about. Um, so like I said, it sounds like you have a lot, of, a, a lot to respect. And I think everyone does. And I think so often it's important to notice it and emphasize the good parts and the parts that are there and build on those and then to do the other parts that you, for whatever reason, feel okay and, and entitled to do on your own. Maybe you could by the time you have a spouse who really feels respected. And I'm telling you again, it's the same thing with the, with the husbands to the, to the women. If you want to do something and you don't trust your wife, you could, you could still take her opinion seriously and think about maybe there's some truth to it. You could still make her feel very good and run things by her. You could still show the children how important your mommy's opinion is. You could still call her on the phone and just make sure that she's okay with it and she'll feel fine just because you asked her. There's so many ways to be respectful and not be controlled by someone. And that's very important. And like I said, there's so much good to enjoy. So if you're having quality time with your husband and you're not slowing him down, try to enjoy the ride. Try to enjoy the parts of a relationship that are good. Sometimes people don't realize it. And this is just a comment that you mentioned. When you come to the simcha, people say, wow, I'm so jealous. You spent so much time with your husband on the way. Wow, you're so lucky. And sometimes people feel like, oh, if only they would know the, the, the anxiety that I was sitting with the whole way and it was so uncomfortable. Somebody repeated to me lately that a neighbor or a relative was saying something about, was complimenting his wife. Um, you know, your husband is so, so loyal, so dedicated, such a mensch. Like a whole list of compliments that personally I think that, they, that she, he, was, he was very deserving of his wife hearing about him. And she comes home and repeats them and adds, instead of thinking into it, adds, if only they would know what I'm going through 15 years. Now by the way, somebody who said such a comment it says something about them. I won't say what it says about them. But, but, even if it's, but even if you feel that it's true, you're suffering, you're tolerating 15 years of abuse, but everyone around you is saying, you know, you have a really special husband. 
Now, I know that sometimes there are situations where people will see on the outside a nice picture, and inside there's real abuse going on. But in this case, there wasn't. And anyway, in any case, the point is that sometimes, only sometimes, what people are seeing is a more objective um, perception than you're seeing. So you're feeling very anxious, you're feeling very ungezogen, very unhappy, but people are noticing, wow, there's so much good in your life. Your husband's really being nice to you. And instead of thinking, you know, if only you would know the anxiety I had a whole way here, think about it, you know, it's true. He, he offered to drive me, or we had time to spend together, and it really was nice, and maybe the way back, I'll try to enjoy it a little more. And it's a general concept. Sometimes hearing what people, or thinking about what people might be seeing, sometimes, very often, there's truth to it. So like I said, I know that there's the opposite situation. I know that somebody on the outside can make a good play, and then inside is, is the direct opposite. But sometimes, it's not like that. And sometimes the fact that you're struggling with something, or something's bothering you, it definitely makes it hard to notice the good, but at least when it's pointed out to you, think about it and say, you know what, there's really so much good here. I think it's for my benefit, aside from being right, I think it's for my benefit to relinquish control. I'll probably be happier, my husband will be happier, and I'll try to get used to living this life of really appreciating him and respecting him for who he is. Maybe we'll both be happier and closer and more connected and enjoy life together more. So with that said, I hope that I covered a few of the things. Let me just now mention two things regarding the two feedbacks. One is that, yes, you do get schar for helping your husband do what's right, even if he, do, even if he chooses differently. And this is not my own concept, it says so in the surah, which means that you are part of one machine, you are part of one goal, and when you help your husband do what's right, you, you help him go to koil, you help him learn by night. Even if he wastes his time in shiel, even if he doesn't learn properly, basmuda, you get a schar. And the reason why the surah teaches that is so a woman should feel good by doing her part toward the goal, this unified goal, even if it doesn't happen the way she wants. So to say, well, but I'm investing so much, shouldn't I have a say in where he learns or how he learns? Shouldn't I be able to look after him? Shouldn't I be able to give my opinion? The answer is, no. This is a control issue. And you said, if this sounds like an attempt to control, it might be. It's wrong. It's wrong. And this is, and this is what I'm saying. Even if a husband shouldn't be controlling the wife, it's not necessarily because you're a woman, but the fact that you're a woman and standing behind a husband and trying to follow him doesn't mean that now you have a say about how he goes unless it directly affects you. There are parts that as a husband, he has certain things that belong to him being the husband and being the man. And as much as you could, you should try to be respectful of it and let him do his thing. And you could, you could voice an opinion as long as it's said in a nice way and he might even take you seriously. That's fine. Um, and, and I'll say another thing that people don't even realize, and I'm not saying it in a, in a manipulative way. I'm saying that sometimes people don't even realize how much they could really influence a decision or a feeling in a spouse. And, and the point is not to, to find the way to trick someone into doing what you want. My point is that sometimes you want your husband to do something a certain way with a smile and a good word and patience and appreciation and, 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 and encouragement, you can get someone to do so much of what you really want or believe in without having to get controlling and, and, and argue, arguments and disagreements and, and voicing it and turning it into a debate. So, so often what people try to get through control and then justifying the control could have been done in such a smarter way. So there is very much about what your husband does which technically belongs to him and you still have so much of a way of really... Um, getting things to be done the right way by just by just doing your part and being the good wife and the same thing with a husband there's so many ways to get your wife to, to do things and to run the home and treat the kids and educate them and parent the way you want in a smart way and not in a controlling way it doesn't always happen and the times that it doesn't happen sometimes you just have to acknowledge the fact that somebody else could choose to do things differently but it, it could happen so that's something to think about that the point of you following your husband is not just to blindfoldly say okay tell me where to go today it's it's using all the power all the chachmas nushim and to get him to make the best choices possible, and to still be respectful of the fact that he does his things the way he wants. And to the other feedback writer, I do want to 
say as follows. I mentioned it earlier just a little bit. A woman might not appreciate being a woman or a mother. And you could ask me, do you want to change places with me? It's irrelevant. Just like, unfortunately, there are Eden, I don't mean to compare, I'm just giving an example. There are Eden that might not appreciate being Eden. It's sad. Right? You have, you have everything. A coin might not appreciate being a coin. And a livey might not appreciate being a livey. But you're still doing the best thing possible. You, you, well, everyone in their place is doing the best thing possible. That's what they were chosen for. You say it for a reason. And at least reviewing it, and at least cognitively just remembering, remembering the truth that being a Yiddish mama and raising a family is tremendous. It's a schis. It's the biggest thing you could do. It's, it's, it's empowering doidas. You're building what, what, the biggest thing you could. If you remember it and you repeat it to yourself, it's already something. You don't feel it, it's okay. There are a lot of things I don't feel. There are a lot of things none of us feel. There are a lot of things that some of us think that we would do differently if only we had a choice and we'd be smarter and we'd do it. But, but just remember the truth. That's first of all. Um, and, and it's sad when it doesn't feel like a gift and it feels like a chore. And trying to see the truth and remembering the truth definitely makes it um, somewhat easier. And, and it's not different than anyone doing anything that they should be doing without realizing what a gift it is. For example, somebody has to daven three times a day. And it's never-ending. It's just like the cleaning at home. It doesn't end. I, I daven already and tomorrow all over again. I have to daven again. And I just finished chakras and soon, soon enough comes Mincha. And then Marav. And then by the time I go to sleep, I have to wake up to chakras. And it's never-ending. There's no bruch in it. It's the biggest privilege you have to talk to Hashem. But I don't feel it. Okay? A lot of things we don't feel. Now, aside from that, it's not only that. It's normal and it's healthy for a Yiddish mama who her biggest job in this world is to parent children to also want to eat, right? It's not, it's not your biggest job in this world, but it's also very important to eat. It's important to schmooze with friends. It's important to socialize. It's important to get fulfillment. It's important to get out. It's important to maybe accomplish other things in your life as well, which will give you the chizik to do your main job, right? There are a lot of things to it. It's not about being homebound and being stuck and thinking that because this is my biggest um, obligation and biggest um, privilege, that's why I should only be doing this. No, it's fine to have other things in your life. Believe me. Every coin in the Vesemigdash who had a major job also had a home and a family to take care of. It's okay. It's important. And everyone has different obligations, different responsibilities. So feeling good about it and remembering it and hearing it, even when you don't feel it, and knowing the truth, and trying your best to have the right attitude about it, is something that, that, is, that is very helpful um, to everyone in their, in their um, job in this world. So I hope I clarified a thing or two. Just to sum it up, men are men and women are women. Those are distinct roles that as much as people try to confuse in today's culture, tries to challenge, it's not changing, the Torah doesn't let us change it. There is a certain respect that a woman has to have for a man, and there's a certain position that a man has in the home, and there's definitely respect that a man has to have for a woman. And then there are control issues, which are a totally separate thing. You don't control the other person. As much as you think you're right, as much as you want to have control or want to have a say, you have to just understand what belongs to who. It's so important to remember that. And you're respectful of that, and you still know how to communicate in a nice way and take each other seriously and try to work together. Um, I think that's definitely a good recipe you know, to help every marriage work, every marriage become even better, like you mentioned, and live together in Ayur Silva Bahava Ahva Shulun Barayas.